I opened up an email from my boss at the time. It's like, I'm unsure if you can do your job. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a sobering moment for me because I had been getting all this really positive feedback and I was having really impactful outcomes, right? The metrics were moving. Uh, I was getting stuff done. I felt really good about the things that I was doing and executing upon. As I read her email and I sat there, this was like silent for a bit because um, I really had never gotten that type of harsh negative feedback. Dude, where do I go from here? Like, how do I even respond? Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am extremely happy to have with us today um, Michelle Parsons. Michelle is um, joining us today from Michelle. Where are you dialing in from or zooming in from? from New York City, a little uh, phone booth here. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, so Michelle is joining us today as the Chief Product Officer um, at Hinge. She is a product leader with over a decade of experience leading teams at consumer tech companies such as Kayak, Spotify, Netflix, um, and as I said most recently has moved into uh, the CPO role at Hinge. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Hinge is, it's the dating app designed to be deleted. We'll hear more about that today. Um, personally, she strives to mix innovation, design, data, and technology into her own approach to building products that add meaning, meaningful value to the way we live, connect, and discover. Michelle, we are so happy to have you today. Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to be here as well. So Michelle, you have a really interesting uh, story and we're gonna get into that um, for sure. But I think one of the, the points that when we were first speaking that really stood out to me was a point in your career where you thought you were kind of on top of the world and you had this experience that was like, wait, I'm not on the top of the world. And how, how did that come to you? And you know, what was the experience? Share that with us. Yeah, that thing, that's a great question. You know, when you're early in your career and you're you're able to kind of like make sense of complex situations and you're learning and you're just devouring and you're trying to make, you know, having all these successful outcomes, um, you're moving forward, you're just like, okay, how do I get to the next stage, the next stage? Um, so this is a, a time when I was at Kayak and I was a, a fairly new PM. I joined really, as, I think the third PM at Kayak at the time, they had just gotten acquired by Priceline and we we're really kind of building out their, their product organization and just, just like kind of moving much faster, right? You know, with um, any kind of acquisition, you have a lot of more expectations um, in front of you. So I joined the team. I had spent, you know, the previous part of my career in the ed tech space. So very different from consumer tech, um, very different tools and, and resources. And so I was having to like kind of learn everything as I, as I went. Um, one of the things I think really equipped me to learn really fast though, was the fact that I kind of came from a science background and a lot of the methodologies around AB testing and hypothesis driven development were very familiar to me, albeit in a different context. Um, so when I kind of got to Kayak, you know, I was able to like really get a handle on the vast array of um, complexities and problems and, and users and really approach them in a very systematic way. Um, and as a result, I was able to get a lot of stuff done. Um, so I was able to really identify the problems, 
work with the teams and have like significant outcomes, right? So produce metrics um, gains that were really large, right? You know, you're thinking on 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 scales of kind of like 10% impact to revenue, 15%, et cetera. And for a business that's really driven, you know, on on that revenue when you're thinking about how do you connect people with hotels or flights, um, it's really, really important because it's, it's oftentimes really hard to do. Um, and so as I kind of continued on my career at Kayak, I was getting a lot of positive feedback, right? Hey, Michelle, you're doing really excellent work. You know, here, can you take this on? Can you take that on? Um, you know, eventually I was leading all of hotels across our mobile um, app, across our desktop app and across our web app. And I just felt really great. I'm like, wow, this, I'm really good at this. I'm able to move fast. You know, I'm able to pivot. Well, you know, this girl's got it. Um, and, you know, I started um, being able to actually go out with our business development partners to talk to some of the, prov- like some of the actual kind of uh, providers of those flights, right? Like booking.com, hotels tonight, et cetera. And so I was sitting in um, Los Angeles at one of the conventions for a travel convention when I opened up an email from my boss at the time. And it was just at the top. It's like, I'm unsure if you can do your job. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a sobering moment for me um, because I had been getting all this really positive feedback and I was having really impactful outcomes, right? The metrics were moving. Uh, I was getting stuff done. I felt really good about the things that I was doing and executing upon. And I think, you know, as I read her email, I sat there, I kind of sat down and this was like silent for a bit um, because I really had never gotten that type of harsh negative feedback and never via an email, especially, right? So you're kind of like sitting there, okay, this is, um, yeah, this is what I do. Where do I go from here? Like, how do I even respond? Um, and what it comes down to, or what it turned out to be, is that we had a brand new designer who had just started. And in my typical fashion of how I'd been used to working with people, how quickly I'd been used to kind of operating, I left her with a bulleted list of things that she needed to do. And I went on my way. And I did not give her enough of the context and background and support that a true partner really would need to be very successful. And, and ultimately, I kind of left her without success. You know, I kind of left her in the wake of all right, well, this person who's my PM is gone. She's left me a bulleted list of things and I really don't know what to do. I actually don't feel like a partner. I just feel like somebody who is giving, you know, she felt like I was just kind of tossing things over the wall and kind of wiping my hands clean. Um, And that's really not right. Like how I had previously approached my relationships with people. Um, But I do think that there was a a lack of that relationship building, the, the trust that you have to kind of fundamentally build from the ground up, especially with new people and especially in an environment where you're trying to move things fast and you're constantly pivoting. So that, you know, in that moment, in that time, uh, as, as bad as I felt, I really just took a pause to say, all right, well, I know that I'm not bad at my job. All right. So what are the, like, I'm obviously having success. I'm obviously good at this thing. What are the things and what are the areas that I can improve in? And kind of why am I getting this feedback? Like what's the what's what's at the core of it? And you know, really in that moment in time, it was all right, my my approach to relationships, especially with with new people who might join and not have all the contents and background, um, really needed to change and really needed to shift because. We were a growing company, we were moving fast, but in order to scale a company, in order to actually have some sustainability, all of those things have to come in a more measured way, right? You have to ensure that people have shared context, shared buy-in, they feel like partners. 
collaborators. And it was, you know, and you, you evolve and you grow, but you know, that was a, a turning point for me where I'm like, okay, I need to put more care and focus in this part as well, because it's an equally as important part of a successful product management career, not just the metrics, not just shipping. Yeah. And I think this is one of those things that is so important at a very specific part in your career. I mean, some of us are lucky enough to understand the importance of that shared context, that shared vision, the inspiring kind of aspect to it early on. But I think the reality is, especially today, as you say, everything has such importance on your KPIs, on your KRs, how are you measuring it? It's very quantitatively driven. Um, yes, they're looking for outcomes, but you're trying to kind of measure and understand how are you making that measurable progress. Um, and yet, as you say, without the context and the shared understanding of why it's that progress is really difficult. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I've carried with me in my career into today, right, is especially when leading teams and leading PMs, that's one of the things that I really try and dial up really early on is, well, how are you working with your team? Because these are things that I struggled with in the past, and I know that how important or and how detrimental they can be right to the relationship that you then have to kind of go back and start from scratch. And so I, I think this is a critical piece of what makes a good product manager long term, um, because a lot of what we do is, is lead through influence. Right. So. Absolutely. So, Michelle, let's take a step back because your career uh, way before you got that call in L.A., right, way before that time, <laughs> you thought you might be going into medicine. Um, so how did you go from thinking it was going to be a career in medicine to, you know, being a, a, you know, being at Kayak, but now today at Hinge? No, that's that's of course, that's a great point. Medicine and products, I actually think a lot about this. Um, they do have some parallels and some similarities. Um, you are working in a pretty fast-paced environment with teams. You are having to solve complex problems that sometimes you don't even know the root cause as um, about, right? You're having to ask your patients a bunch of questions, people around the patient, um, lean on support of other functions. Um, you might be the cardiologist, but you need an anesthesiologist, you might need a surgeon, et cetera, right? And so there is this, this aspect of collaboration, problem solving, um, creativity that comes around that, that space that had ultimately really drove me to want to become a doctor early, early when I was a little kid. I think the other thing is um, helping people and kind of being somebody who could provide that is, was also very, very important for me. Um, so when I was in college, uh, my senior year, I had really set my entire life up to like, all right, you're going to be in pre-med, you're going to do these internships, you're going to get this exposure, and you'll become a doctor one day. Um, it was my senior year, I was, I was doing kind of a January or winter terms, we called it, um, at, at my university, and I spent all the time preparing for this um, on-site kind of immersive um, medical brigades, public health workshops um, in El Salvador. I was in El Salvador. We were, we were running through all of these um, operations and I was kind of the lead for it all, right? Really planning, executing, overseeing, troubleshooting, all those types of more operational aspects for um, the two types of clinics and, and workshops that we were running. Um, and I was sitting in, uh, I believe like I forget exactly where I was, but I was standing actually in a, in a coffee, like processing plant in one, on one of the villages. 
And looking around, we had to, we had to turn this plant into a, a makeshift clinic. And like, I really love this. Like, this is interesting. And I don't know what, anything about this, you know, uh, plant, but we somehow we have to see 200 patients here today with one doctor. And how are we going to move people through this, through this system, through this line, right, through these different stations, quote unquote, um, and, and make sure that they're having a really good experience and make sure that they're coming at the at the end of the day, they're going to get seen by a doctor and they're kind of the why they even showed up is going to be met. Um, and so as I stood there reflecting and feeling just a lot of like pride and joy and happiness, I'm like, I don't know what this job is, but I don't think that I'm getting the same amount of happiness from having like working directly with doctors, which I had spent the summer before doing. Um, and so I took a step back and just really said, well, what else is there? Do I really want to go invest four more years and all of this money into something that I'm not, I'm kind of unsure about and, and doing that, you know, going into medical school is a really big investment and you kind of have to be sure about it. Um, so I ended up saying, all right, let me take some time to kind of reevaluate, think about what I want to do. I joined uh, Teach for America, which is a teaching program that kind of connects, um, uh, you know, university grads from across the country to lower income areas. And I started teaching high school science. I knew science. I was an education under like minor. And so I said, all right, I, I can do this. And I learned so much when I was in the classroom. Again, the same feelings. All right. I'm helping navigate a group of students towards some common goal. I'm having to leverage a bunch of different insights and data around me to ensure that I'm actually on that right pathway. And as are my students. And I just kept coming back to like, this is not enough. This is not scaling. I want to be able to have more impact. And that's really when I found um, EdTech. And that is really when the pivot into products, the realization that product was even an option and even a career happened. And, you know, I, I, I've never looked back, right? I always look back and I'm like, there's so many parallels into the early phases of my life that always lead back to product and product leadership and product management. And I think I was just lucky enough to have the instinct and have the patience really with myself to say, this doesn't feel right. Don't go down this pathway. Uh, you need to take some time to reflect. And I, I tend to do a lot of self-reflection. And I think this is what really helped me lead, you know, into where I am today. What would you give as advice to people who say, I'd like to do some self-reflection, right? I'd like to think about whether or not this is the right job for me, the right uh, relationship for me, the right city for me, the right X. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I do that a lot, right? I've moved cities so, so many times and also careers. And the thing I always ask myself, and I think that I've got advice around as well, is Pause to just understand and reflect on, you don't have to reflect on your entire life or your, you know, your X, Y, or Z. It really is just about saying, hey, am I feeling fulfilled? Like, are the, the things that make me happy when I'm not at work or not out with my friends, like when I'm just alone and, and, and sitting and relaxing, like, do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel like my ambitions and my goals and my, my hopes are, are manifesting? And I oftentimes say, like, what, well, how do I want to grow? And what types of things and impacts do I want to have on the people around me, the, the places that I spend time and, and the work that I do? And I, I think it's just starting there. Like, what are your goals? And then are the things that you're doing today matching those goals? And I think it's a lot of, of sometimes it's hard because sometimes you have to define, like, what are your goals? Like, what do you like to do? What are, what are you enjoying? And then are the things that you're doing today laddering back up to those or not? 
The hardest part then is saying like, if those two things are not congruent, well, then how do you move forward from there? And I think that can be paralyzing a little bit, but I think the, that oftentimes just stopping and creating a plan helps take a lot of that fear and, and the risk out of it. You have managed risk a little bit. Absolutely. Well, and I think, I mean, one of the things that comes through really clearly from your story is you're really good at breaking bigger things down into smaller pieces, right? And it's been both, I, I guess, you know, uh, the things that have gotten you the most um, success and, you know, an immediate praise, right? Um, and then it's also been the thing that you've realized how to apply even when you realize the first iteration of that, taking that and applying that wasn't actually going to be what you needed to take into the next stage of your kind of product career, right? And understanding that email that you got, how to break that break that down, how to take that and be constructive. Absolutely. And I, and oftentimes I, I, when I hear, you know, I, I, when I mentor, when I get asked questions about, you know, I'm having this problem, how do I solve it? Or how have you approached it before? It's always, most often it comes down to, well, what's the problem you're trying to solve and have we actually broken it down enough? I do think breaking down problems is really, it can be really complex and can be really hard because it's, there's problems are big. They're problems for a reason. <laughs> They're problems. And they are oftentimes a manifestation or a culmination rather of a lot of different variables. And so being able to isolate the variables and pull those things apart is the first step. It's, it's, it's one of the most challenging steps, which is why really when I, when I coach my PMs and I lead teams, I'm really hyper-focused on like, let's con- deconstruct all of the variables because we can then use all the variables to build it back up. And then we can say, which are the most important variables? Which are the most important things we need to focus on first? All right, let's prioritize those ones. And then let's have a plan for, you know, three, four, five, six, and seven. Because maybe seven and eight is like not really that, that impactful to the overall problem or the overall outcome. And we're going to get a lot of value or a lot of learnings from those two things. And if we didn't break it down like that, we were just going to approach the problem head on without really fully understanding it. And that's how I approach a lot of things, like even my own life. And you kind of mentioned careers. When I was at Kayak, you know, I was asking myself, well, what do I need to learn next? Like, what's the big problems that I'm having or I'm facing my career? What's what's stifling growth? And it turns out that I needed to get experience with personalization, recommendation and algorithms. And I wasn't going to get that at Kayak because we just weren't there. The, the, The company just wasn't at that place at the time. And so I needed to figure out, well, how do I go get this? Because this will really help build up my toolkit. And even though I don't have experience in algorithms and machine learning and recommendation systems, I know that I want to get it. And I know that I need to figure out where is the right place to go next in order to give me the space to learn and influence and impact. I love that. So tell us, where did you go next? And what what was the (laughs) next stage of Michelle? Yeah, so after I spent about two and a half years at Kayak leading hotels across, as I mentioned, all of our our various platforms from search all the way to to checkout. After that, I I joined Spotify. I was there for about a year and a half, uh, primarily focused on our recommendations uh, platform team, which was really very new to me. I I had never worked with a machine learning engineer before in my entire life. And so it was an amazing learning experience. I got really in-depth knowledge of how back-end system, systems work, how data systems work, and how all of that together and independently really then can, can contribute to the amazing experiences that you and I use every single day. But that key 
knowledge and key experience. You know, there was a little bit of time where I was like trying to like learn through it. You're like, you're going to learn and move at the same time and you will have to figure it out. Um, really enabled me and empowered me to then take on my next, my next move, which is at Netflix, where I led our kids and family team um, across all of our platforms and globally, really owning the end-to-end vision and roadmap for what, it, what does kids and family product look like at Netflix? How do we help connect kids all across the globe with the stories they know and that they love and introduce them to net new favorites, right? To, pe- to stories and characters they have yet to even dream up and they've yet to meet. And so that for me was, was really exciting because it was bringing me back to my education space, right? I'm working more kind of with the kids and the parents and you know, it's a little bit different from like the general approach that Netflix took to product and into their problems around most adults needed discovery. You know, the way that, they, that we proved value at Netflix to our general population was, hey, we always have something net new for you to discover. There's always a new story. There's always a new series, a new binge. For kids, it's so different. I mean, first and foremost, kids is kind of a, uh, a generalization because kids like are so different at every stage of their life. A four-year-old will tell you squarely they are not a three-year-old and a five-year-old is not a four-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old is a four-and-a-half-year-old, almost five, right? You, you know, you've heard kids kind of say that. And the, the needs and the complexities that then are inherent in dealing with a broad range of users and their caregivers, which is a whole added complexity, and the fact that when they come to, to Netflix or when they go really anywhere, they're looking for things that are comfortable, that are safe, that are familiar. And that's what they're, that's what's making them happy and excited and showing value for them. And so when I started at Netflix, our approach to kids wasn't that. It was just like, how do we get them to discover more stuff? And, you know, we had to really take a whole step back and say, all right, let's kind of restart from kind of the bottom up, really looking at the core users, their needs, the complexities, the differences, right? Dexterity of a remote, being able to type and spell, all of these nuances that seem like little nuances or that you might take for granted are actually super critical in developing a product that they can actually use, navigate, and love. And I, you know, I was working across our content teams, our metadata teams, our legal and privacy teams, amongst obviously product, et cetera, right? But there was just so much more um, that I had to keep in mind. And ultimately, our ability to also partner with our algorithm and our recommendations team was so critical in our success because we really had to shift the entire foundation of Netflix for kids and then prove that value. Right. Algorithms, we talk about, you know, our recommendations, you come into Netflix, you're like, oh, my new story. I love this. I just watched Squid Games this past weekend. I'm like, this was so great. I had a Netflix. No, I would I would love this random K, you know, K drama. Let's I think like Hunger Games meets Black Mirror, just like perfect. Um, But that's one system that powers all of Netflix. We had to basically redo the entire system, but for a much smaller set of our user base. So not only do you have to invest a lot of time, but we have to convince all of our executive team that it's important to do so, right? Um, that's an investment in both resources, time, money, et cetera. Um, so I, I loved it. I think my my uh, experience having worked at Spotify and working, working with recommender PMs and teams directly helped me form like deeper relationships with those teams as well. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, when I left Netflix and I joined Hinge, the same problems that, that excited me, you know, really early on in my career about really helping people connect and really driving that meaningful connection just was something that, that 
could not, I could not stay away from a hinge. There's something about bringing people together in the most vulnerable and, and ultimately meaningful ways that excites me. It's also so nuanced in the same way that kids are nuanced and their caregivers have influence over what they're doing and what they're watching. Two people who are connecting and dealing with the uncertainty and the vulnerability and the, sometimes the games, right? I'm like, do I text them first? They text me first. Um, it, it's just, it's just such a interesting problem to solve in my mind. You know, one of the things that you, you said that I think will resonate a lot with listeners is you kind of did an assessment of what did you need and you went out and you very specifically selected, you know, roles that were going to give you the personalization experience, machine learning, right. Um, the recommendations, what about, because that obviously prepared you for success at those next roles, but then also, I mean, another thing that you realized that you needed had come from the kayak experience, right. And understanding how without kind of acting as that epicenter for the, what, the, why, the, how, um, you know, you weren't going to be successful. So talk to us more about how, you know, that played an influencing role throughout your time in Spotify, Netflix, and even today, how does it change how you are when you do something like, I mean, the Netflix is a perfect example, right. To break apart the standard operating approach, um, you know, and the secret sauce, right. To not only convince your own teams, but as you say, you know, executive stakeholders, right. You're going to have to really sell the why, right. The, the why and the what and all. So talk to us about how that's played a, you know, guiding role in how you act as a leader now versus if you hadn't had that experience. And and I, that's a great point. And I, and I think a really good question because ultimately it comes down to us being and myself being able to develop deeper and better empathy. Um, for example, in this, you know, I mean, the kayak example, I did not empathize with my new colleague who had just joined. And I'm like, I think you'll be able to figure this out. Um, and that just was not the case. Right. I went back and I said, well, how would I have liked to be treated? And maybe actually I was like using myself as a carbon copy. I would have been able to figure that out. Maybe I told myself, you know, okay, that's totally fine. Three bullets is I'm going to be able to go dig in and, and roll my sleeves up and go figure it out. But that's just my personality. That's not necessarily the personality of every single person I come across. And I had to learn that early on because the way that I approach things and the way that I respond to, to things is very different than everybody else, um, right? We're all so, we're unique. We're humans. We're individuals. We have our own personalities, experiences, biases, et cetera, perspectives. And so empathy building has been something that I just continue to invest in time and time again. Um, I continue to always seek feedback. I, I do that regularly, not just at review sessions and times of that nature. I, I really tend to um, ask for maybe too much, honestly, but I really want to be able to internalize it and say, okay, how am I, how am I being perceived? How am I showing up for other people? How do I then take that feedback and try to implement it? You know, it's hard to change. We're all, again, creatures of habit. We have our own experiences, biases, and backgrounds, but it's really important, especially as you are working with others in different departments, you're coaching and leading, you're managing to be able to to help develop that in yourself, but also to help build that in your team. And I think the Netflix example specifically, one of the, actually the most challenging pieces was to, to find partnership with our content and marketing teams who actually had very different metrics than ours. Their metric is actually, how do I get kids to discover my new show that we're creating, that we're investing in, that we're spending a lot of time and energy 
building and, and, and creating. And my metric was something completely different. And it took a long time for us to kind of build that shared understanding, that shared context, that actually both of our goals could be met working together. And yes, there's going to be some short-term trade-off, but you have to be aware of that from both sides and both sides have to be willing to compromise. And I think, again, building that shared understanding, that shared context, that shared empathy, that shared vision for like where we're going to go and how we're going to get there is so critical and it's so important. And I've been able to, over, over time, continue to hone that, continue to build the trust, continue to get that buy-in. I'm not perfect by any means. I, I, I cannot claim that, but it is definitely something that I think is really important because it does help, again, now build that trust, right? That, that's the foundation to everything. Absolutely. Well, and I think one of the things we talked about on the prep, which I think it, it was very insightful, is you're still driving, right? You know, Michelle, as an individual, is still really driven by focusing on those metrics, right? And achieving and breaking those apart. But, you know, as you mentioned, being part of this cohesive team who's also focused on those um, and is then jointly co-creating and driving towards those results, uh, the outcomes are stronger, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you're going to get further with more people rowing the boat. And as, as the product manager, you are really the, you know, you're the captain of that. You're just helping kind of navigate people. But if people don't know where they're navigating or trying to navigate without support, then you're not going to get anywhere really quickly. And if you're standing at the front of the ship and you're not saying like very clear and explicitly where you're going and why you're going there, you're going to have people navigating in different directions. It's going to slow everything down. I just think that the, the collaboration, the tight integration of different functions, different skill sets, different perspectives, different pushback, right, is going to make the product that you ultimately end up coming out with that much stronger and that much more impactful for your users because it forces everybody to consider alternate viewpoints and alternate options. One of those just might unlock something that you hadn't considered. Like an entire business model. I think it's a good place to transition. So Hinge, for example, is different, right? (laughs) It is different than many of the dating apps that are out there and, you know, in the world of the curated self today, right? You guys are thinking about how you have an opportunity to yield that differently. So talk to us, what's, what's going on? I mean, we know you're super excited to be there, um, but talk to us about why Hinge is different and what are the types of things that you're working on today? Yeah, I think Hinge is different. It's special to me. I met my partner on Hinge. We've been together for five years now. So it's something that kind of also hits close to home. Um, Hinge is, is unique in that, you know, in the, in the uh, height of, of dating apps, like kind of everybody was doing the similar things. We all maybe had our own like little niches, um, our little like ways into kind of the audience. But Hinge really has always established itself as the more intentioned app in the space, really focusing in on helping users express and convey truer versions and more authentic versions of themselves. But I think with one really clear differentiation, which is that we don't employ the swiping mechanism. We we purposefully add friction to the experience in order to slow people down, in order to say, hey, this is not just a swipe right or swipe left, or it's not just a, a person or a picture. This is a 
actual human on the other side of this profile, this 2D flat profile. There's somebody who's live, who's real, who's breathing, who has feelings and emotions and, and experiences that they're putting themselves out on this app because they wanted to find somebody else that, you know, equally values and shares similar beliefs and goals. And we purposefully ask people to like a piece of content, whether it's a photo or a video or a prompt. We encourage commenting at that first stage, not just a like or, or a dismiss. And so we've really intentionally designed this entire system around that belief that if we get people into our app who want to be there and who are investing their time, the entire ecosystem is going to benefit as a result. You know, we don't measure our, and I think the other thing is like, in order to truly live up to that, we could say that, that could be words, but in order to truly measure that and say, we actually believe this, we actually do this, we don't measure ourselves via engagement or sessions or time spent or activity, right? We measure ourselves on, are people actually going out on dates? And it's a really hard thing to measure because of course you're like, you're not, you're not talking to people. Did you go out on dates? But we, we, we really want to ensure that at the end of our day, our North Star and our entire team and my team knows why they're here. Why are we investing our time building products, researching, you know, the pain points, coming up with solutions, working together, you know, spending our, our hours late into the nights uh, building product. It's because we really are connecting people. We're really helping people define, sorry, pause. We're really helping people build more meaningful relationships and connections, all in pursuit of deleting the app. Ultimately, most places want you to stay on their app. They don't want you to delete the app. We really want you to delete the app. We really want you to find your person so that you no longer need us. I think we believe that if that is true and if we can we can live up to our promise and we can live up to the expectations of our users, then we'll continue to grow because we'll actually be doing what we promised in the first place. Absolutely. Talk to us about some of the the difficult things, the difficult problems you're working on. I mean, one of the ones that you talked about to me really makes you know, it makes like, you know, my mouth water thinking about it. Cause I do think it would be a difficult one. Right. So how do you break the curated self? How do you work towards promoting authenticity? Right. How, how are you guys approaching that? What are some of the things you've learned? Any surprises so far? No, that this is one of the hardest challenges. I think this and this idea of, of ghosting two things that I have been created by the advent of social media to a degree. I, I really think that we have, as the society evolved into short-term satisfaction, right? I get that like dopamine hit if I see a picture, if I get a like, if I am able to um, post that I went to this restaurant or I did the XYZ thing. Um, and as a result, everything also becomes a little bit more, um, just like superfluous around me. And so I'm not necessarily also saying like, I went to this experience and it really impacts my life in this way. And I, it's, 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 you know, it's meaningful. It's kind of like, I went to this experience, I posted about it and then it's going to go away. Right. In, in 24 hours, a thing will be gone and I'm going to be on to the next bit. And I think this, this has penetrated into all parts of society. Um, you know, we just, the recent, um, kind of whistleblower from Facebook even talks a lot about this, right? I want to get into it, but 
there's a lot there around curation and around how people are trying to present versions of themselves so that they can fit in with other people. And that fosters this sense of in, like non-authenticity. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but <laughs> um, it is, and it's hard because people's version of themselves and what they see and how other people see them aren't, aren't congruent and it can cause a lot of confusion for others who you're meeting for the first time, for yourself perhaps. And so what we really want to try and do is say, hey, everybody is unique. We all have flaws. We all have blemishes. That's, that's what makes us us. And that's what makes us actually amazing and unique. And we should be proud of that. We should show that because we don't want to show up on a date and have been totally misrepresentative about ourselves and then have a really bad time because actually we have nothing in common with this other person. And then that leads to deeper feelings of dissatisfaction, et cetera. So we're really focused on trying to help people. You know, what I say is evolve from the selfie to self-expression, really take pride and joy and, and feel safe about expressing themselves, like showing the blemishes, showing what makes them them, their successes, their failures, their their experiences. And, you know, we've, we've taken a variety of steps into this. Um, we've just launched uh, a couple of, of features that really try to help elevate personality. Um, they're still in development, so I can't like quite say exactly what they are, but what that's really our kind of focus here is we know that showcasing personality is one of the one of the most um, important drivers for successful relationships and assessing that earlier on in your journey is going to ultimately lead to better outcomes because by the time that you start to talk to somebody via text or phone or meet them in person you have a better understanding and a better sense of am i really going to vibe or mesh with this person are do we really have something here worth investing in even further and so it does then also have a really positive impact on the end, right? On the other end, where you do get less people who are talking to people who they're like kind of lukewarm about. And so you get less ghosting and you get less um, missed expectations. And so there's all these positive surrounding effects of this as well. That is not just get people out on more dates and, and meeting each other. There's all the other cascading impacts as well, which I, I oftentimes really push my team to ensure that we're focusing on because we need to look at this entire this thing in its entirety as these the big picture. And then again, going back to some of our earlier conversation, break down to little problems and uh, you know prioritize the variables. Okay, I have to ask because you brought up the ghosting. Is ghosting a metric you guys measure? And are you tracking it and trying to get rid of it? Because the people need to know, Michelle. I'm telling you, it's it's this phenomenon I've heard about from my single friends and it sounds awful. So tell the people what they want to hear. Ghosting is is top of our is on top of our list um, for things that we want to actively measure, track, and reduce. Uh, we believe that that single piece can have equally, if not more impact on the, how positive people feel about our, their experience on Hinge and the ecosystem at large. Absolutely. Going back to that very beginning uh, part of your career where you were inspired to, to solve big problems. I feel like this is definitely a good qualifier. <laughs> I think it comes down to accountability and, you know, it's so easy to not have accountability to fear rejecting somebody or to fear the rejection yourself when you don't really know the person that well and they kind of are just a profile and a screen and you don't we just need to fi 
figure out how to help drive more accountability. And I think there's so many interesting product features, design choices that can drive that intentionality, not just in the upfront piece of the system, but throughout the entire experience. Absolutely. I agree. Well, once you guys figure out ghosting, then you can go on and deal with cyberbullying because I think that happens <laughs> in the same vacuum of uh, lack of accountability and anonymity. So there you go. You guys- solving the big problems of the world here. Um, okay. So we have gotten to the, uh, one of my favorite questions of every show, which is understanding a bit more about you and the way you see the world. Um, we always ask everyone who joins us if there was a museum for people like us who are just crazy about product and appreciate product theory and, um, you know, like to study, you know, products, why they work, why they don't work. What's the impact Say there was a museum in the world that we could go to and it was dedicated to the most important products. Uh, What would you argue should be in that museum and why? All right, put some some thinking into this. I, and it might be a super out of left field one as well. (laughs) So you might like ask me why this one and I'll tell you why. Um, I think it should be the Nokia phone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so. Why Nokia? You might be asking, like, maybe I had a Nokia when I was like 14. I'm not, I'm not sure. Formative, formative years. And formative, formative years. Yeah, they were the early years when you, I first had my first cell phone. I'm like, oh, this is this is everything. You know, I had my green screen and my like QWERTY texting. It was it was amazing. Um, I, I picked Nokia for a couple of reasons. One, I think that it's a very good example of a product that was really on top. It was the the leader in the space. It was innovating. They had huge research teams. They were constantly coming out with new products that making a phone as small, 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 small. I actually remember I had one that was like just the size of a calculator, maybe like a tiny little phone. And they were continuously surveying, like, what should we do next? Like, what do our users want? What are, what are, what's the big problems they're trying to solve with telecommunication and phones generally? Um, should we add a calendar app and should we do all these things? And I think they failed. Oh, I didn't. I don't think they failed. They failed. Obviously, like who has a Nokia phone today? Um, not very many people. I, I don't think, if any. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I think about for that story, and I, it just kind of resonates with me always. I always think about it: is you can be on the top of your game, you can be the leader in the space, and if you not aren't constantly innovating and really thinking about problems at their core breaking them down, trying to understand like, what are the threads and what are the opportunities? You can fall. You can have somebody like Apple, for example, who came on to the space um, and overtook Nokia really, really quickly. Um, one of the things that you, know, you, you can kind of read about is um, the reason this happened is Nokia, or one of the reasons rather is Nokia had a huge team of researchers and they always ask their, their you know, customers like, what do you want? Um, and do you like this thing? And, you know, they take all that research and the feedback and they go use that to develop new prototypes They take it back. And their, you know, their customers will say, oh, well, what if we had just like this other button or this is confusing. And so we're kind of going back and forth this one with this one medium of insights and not necessarily taking into account that sometimes people don't know what they want or they can't articulate what they haven't dreamed up quite yet. They, they, and they might not know that their problem is that they're asking for X. But the problem is really why. And if we actually just did this other thing that was Z, we might actually have a more effective way of solving the macro problem and not just treating the symptom. So I think that it's a good example to just always stay um, aware of 
how how am I approaching problems? What methods am I using to gain insights? Am I using research? Am I using data analyses? Am I using A-B testing? Am I using prototyping? Am I serving users? Am I doing diet? Like there's so many ways that we can get insights. And you take all of those different insights and you really have to understand and go deep into what is that problem? And what do we need to solve? Like, where's the future going? And I think that Apple did that really well because everybody has an Apple phone today and the variety and suite of products that, it, that the iPhone unlocked for Apple long-term. And then you have Nokia, which very few people still carry around in their pocket. Absolutely. And it's such a good lesson uh, to end on because, you know, the drivers that made the iPhone so successful had nothing to do, as you say, with asking about specific features to improve, right? And it was completely different. So an emotional, an emotional goal of uh, how it would make their users feel, prospective users feel, right? Okay. Well, Michelle, it's been so (laughs) lovely having you join us today. Thank you so much for sharing all your interesting learnings. And we can't wait to see everything that you and the team accomplish at Hinge. Thank you so much. It was really enjoyable. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.